On Wednesday nights, we've been looking at different mistakes that religious people make, different religious errors. And for the most part, the world has it wrong on most topics of the Bible. And so it's easy pickings when it comes to deciding what we're going to do. <clears throat> We've tried to, here on Wednesday evenings, stay close to the plan of salvation. There are many religious errors, and anything that's, that is taught that is not in line with God's Word is, of course, sinful and concerning, but most of all, we want to focus on what God would have us to know and do in regard to salvation. Now, there's an incredible foundation that can be built that we can stand on if we look at God's Word. The foundation has several elements in it. When you look at God's Word with an open heart, you see that God does exist and He created this universe. You see that His Word is inspired uh, by Himself brought to us from his mind. You see that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you, you see that the New Testament is the last will and testament. It's God's last word to man. You see that there is a plain gospel plan that God has for man. You see that the church is established on the day of Pentecost. You see that the church has a mission from the Lord. You see the church has an obligation to worship in spirit and in truth. And you see that regarding the human family, God wants, God has a design for men and women as far as family goes. Now, what I just mentioned was seven or eight different elements of the foundation that must be built uh, in, in our lives. We stand on that, that foundation. Now, the, the era I've got in mind this evening, I'm going to get to that, but I want to begin with, with reminding us just how plain, just how clear the gospel plan is for, all, for us to see. Really, as you look into the New Testament, this gospel plan uh, can be seen from different standpoints. I still think it's good to relate to and refer to the gospel plan as, as hearing the word of God and believing uh, in Jesus as the Son of God and obeying the command to turn from sin and commit uh, to the Lord and the command to confess our faith in the Lord Jesus as Lord, as Savior, as the Son of God, and the command to be immersed for the remission of sins, and the commands uh, to worship and to live faithful uh, to Him all the days of our lives. But this gospel plan can be seen in every segment of the New Testament. Uh, in the days that Jesus was here on this earth, He taught constantly about, about being born again. And the gospel plan is, is being born again. 
Okay. He said you'd be born of water and the Spirit, as we read in John 3. When you look at Jesus giving us the Great Commission, then the Gospel plan is tucked away in the, in the Great Commission. When you go on over and look into the book of Acts, see the Great Commission being carried out, then the Gospel plan is spelled out in all these different conversions that we read about in Acts. When you read the epistles, the letters, Paul and others are basically reminding the Christians of the commitment they made as they obeyed the gospel earlier in their life and the life that they are now to live from that point onward. The gospel plan is a can't miss, a can't miss. Okay. But then, and this is where we're going for a little while this evening, but then we hear someone comes along and says, what about the thief on the cross? Don't you know about the thief on the cross? And you read in Luke 23 and 40, 42 and 43 that the thief said to Jesus, remember me. And Jesus then responded and said, today you will be with me in paradise. And someone says, you see, you see, no gospel plan associated with that. He just made a petition and then he was promised paradise right there on the spot. In fact, if you've done much effort at all, if you've made much of an effort at all in sharing the gospel, then you've probably heard this many times. There are occasions, in fact there are most occasions, if you sit down and talk, start talking with some, to, to someone about salvation and they are attending another religious group, they're a part of another religious group. And the gospel plan of salvation be starts becoming real apparent to them, which doesn't take very long because it's so clear. They will go to their pastor, their so-called pastor, and tell him what they're doing. And the so-called pastor then will tell them to tell us what about the thief on the cross. This is their go-to place. This is, this is the place where they think they have their explanation for what they do for salvation this is uh, where they oftentimes find their support. And so we want to respond to this together uh, this evening as we talk about religious uh, errors. Okay. Now, it is true that Jesus was crucified between two thieves, and it is true, as you read that right there in Luke 23, that this man did petition Jesus, and it is true that Jesus promised him salvation right there on the spot. But we want to do a couple things together as we get started this evening. First, we want to take a close look at this thief. And then secondly, we want to take a quick look at um, what we might call Bible uh, time frame, Bible chronology. Okay? So, let's be turning to Luke 23 together and take a close look at this thief. By the way, as you're turning over there, what is this thief's name? What's his name? We don't know that, do we? Okay, well, where is he from? Where's the thief from? Oh, we don't know that either. Well, if he was a thief, then, then what did he steal? What, what was he accused of stealing? Well, we don't know that either. Okay. We just don't, he's a thief. 
He's been condemned. But there are several things we can know about him, even though we can't know his name or his family or exactly what theft he was involved in. In Luke 23, we're going to get to find out quite a bit of information about him. Remember what Jesus said on another occasion, Matthew 12, 34. The Lord said, Out of the abundance of the heart, the man speaks. And so a man's words will reveal his heart oftentimes. The words reveal the heart. And so I think we see that going on here. Luke 23, 39. Let's see all that we can know. We can know what this man believed. We can know what he knew. This thief, this thief, this thief that's going to end up in paradise. We hope to see this thief one day. Right? Don't you want to see this thief? Don't you want to talk to him? Okay. So, we can know what he knew. And we can know what he believed. All right. Verse 39. There's two thieves. So one of the thieves, see this? One of the thieves who, were, who was hanged there railed at Jesus saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. All right. But then the penitent thief, he begins to speak in verse 40. Verse 40. So verse 40 says, The other thief rebuked that thief, saying, Do you not fear God? since you are under the same sentence of condemnation as he is. And so notice some things that we can know about this thief. Notice what we can know that he believed. First, he believed in the existence of God. Do you not fear God? So he believed in the existence of God. Right. Secondly, he believed that men should fear God. Right? That men should fear God. Doesn't this remind you of Ecclesiastes 12, 13, where Solomon said, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandment, for this is the whole of man. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, fear not them that kill the body, and after that they have no more they can do, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So we know this man believed in God, he believed men should fear God. A third thing we see here is this man believed that you should teach about God. See what he's saying to the other thief? He says, don't you think you ought to fear God seeing that you're under the same sentence, same condemnation? He's trying to persuade him. He's trying to reason with him here. Don't you see here? You see that in verse 40? He said, don't you see? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, don't you think you ought to be fearing God? So he's trying to, to persuade the other thief. All right. So there's three, three things we can know about what he believed. And then let's read verse 41 together. He continues to speak, And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing amiss, nothing wrong. So let's see, this thief believed in the standard of right and wrong. Unlike so many today who don't believe there's any such thing as doing something wrong, 
this thief, this thief that ends up in paradise, this thief believed in the standard, God's standard of right and wrong. Furthermore, notice that he believed that he and his fellow thief had transgressed the law of God, had, had transgressed and sinned against divine law. He further believed that the punishment he was receiving was a due reward, okay? that he deserved what he was getting. Okay. He and the other one. But then notice, what did he believe about Jesus? According to verse 41, what did he believe about Jesus? There you go. He knew enough about Jesus to know that Jesus was innocent. He was dying as an innocent man. He has done nothing amiss. Nothing amiss. Okay. I believe it's in John 8 and 29 where Jesus said, I always do those things that are pleasing, that are pleasing in the sight of God. Jesus is the only one that could ever say that, ever. Only person ever who stood with his two feet on this earth who was able to say that is Jesus. This thief knew that Jesus had done nothing astray, nothing wrong. Okay. And so that gets us through verse 41. 41. We indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Okay. And then in verse 42, the man continues to speak. The mouth reveals the heart. The man continues to speak. And he said, Jesus. Now we don't, because we follow the Lord and we read our Bibles, we don't just jump right over Jesus. What, is the, what does the name Jesus mean? You shall call his name Jesus. Right? Matthew 1.21 You shall call his name Jesus for it is he who shall, who shall save his people from their sins. Jesus means Savior. Savior. Okay. I love the conclusion that some of the Samaritans came to due to the testimony of the Samaritan woman. But I don't get tired of reading this verse. John 4, verse uh, 42. 42. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So verse 42 here in Luke 23, the thief says, Jesus, Jesus, remember me, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What does this tell us? He believes that Christ is the Savior of the world, but he also believes that he's the king. He's the king, yes. And he believes and knows that the king has kingdom. Kingdom. Jesus talked a lot about the church, the kingdom while he was on earth. 
So this man believed that Jesus is Savior and that he is the king. And the king has the kingdom. This man believed that Jesus would still be alive after this murderous act. He believed that, this, that Jesus would survive the death of this body. Remember me when you come in your kingdom. He's not escaping the cross. Neither one of them are. None of them are. But the thief had the knowledge and belief that the soul survives the death of the body. This thief not only believed that Jesus would still be alive after this murderous act on the cross, but he also believed that he himself would continue to exist after his death. You see, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I called him Lord. And so these words reveal much about uh, this man. He believed that Jesus would be willing to forgive him in spite of his sins. Jesus, he knew Jesus to be a forgiving God. He knew Jesus was the source to go to to receive this eternal forgiveness. And then what about the reaction of Jesus? Isn't this important? Isn't the reaction of Jesus in the next verse very important to this situation? Without hesitation, Jesus said, today, Thou wilt be with me in paradise. Jesus, the one who knows all the hearts, right? The Lord knows our hearts. Acts 1.24 makes that a clear statement. The Lord knows the hearts of all men. All men. So he knows, he knows the heart of this thief. He knows your heart and my heart. He knows everybody's heart. Okay. So Jesus makes this statement. Jesus reacts in this manner today. Today. So he knew this man's whole heart and character. Okay. And this is the same Jesus who said, you can't be my disciple unless you're willing to renounce all that you have. And so, first of all, with this thief, I wanted us to see that we know what he believed. We know what he believed. And here's, before we leave the thief here, we've got to ask this question. How and when did he come to know these things? How and when did he come to know these things? How, how and when did he come to these convictions that we've just listed here? Okay. I doubt, don't you? I doubt he was able to come to this sort of knowledge and conviction in just those few, whatever it was, few minutes, the hour or two in which he had been in the same area as Jesus there on the cross, we doubt very seriously that he would be able to come to this sort of knowledge and ideals in just the time that they've been thrown together there on, on this hill a place of the skull here, I doubt very seriously come to this kind of knowledge. Okay. And so then where did he get all this 
knowledge. You think so? He'd seen him, heard him, seen and heard Jesus somewhere before? Probably in one of the cities. So you think people were talking about the Lord as things were happening to the Lord on that day and the night before, possibly? Okay. Yeah, that's it's kind of the impression I get too, Matt, is that doesn't seem like he's just just a this is just a notion that he's come up with here in the last couple of hours or a couple of minutes. This is something that has been with him for some very possibly could have been a Jew. He knew too much about the kingdom. He knew quite a bit about the kingdom. You can't prove he wasn't baptized. Okay. He can't prove he was. Same evidence either way. Okay. Okay, so he does know some things about the kingdom and John the Baptist, his ministry, if you want to turn back to Matthew 3, you recall, his ministry focused on the kingdom, Matthew 3, verse 2, his main message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But Jesus had a similar message, didn't he? Matthew 4, 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach, say, and repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay. But if you notice here that if you're back in Matthew 3, beginning in verse 4, John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and, and wild honey. He was a carnivore. So then Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan confessing uh, their sins. Okay. As John talked about the kingdom, he was also baptizing people for the remission of their sins. Notice in Mark chapter 1 in your Bibles, the statement made in Mark 1, 4, Mark chapter 1, verse 4, similar to Matthew 3. But notice in Mark 1, verse 4, John appeared, John the Baptist, John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country, notice that, verse 5, Mark 1, verse 5, and all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan. So is it possible that the thief that we've been reading about, was he part of, of this crowd that says here, all Jerusalem, all Judea went out to hear John preaching about the kingdom? It seems that with John and Jesus, baptism was connected with the kingdom. Okay. In Matthew chapter 10, 
if you want to jump over there, Matthew 10, notice that Jesus sends his disciples out on what we call the limited commission. Notice that their mission or their message was, according to Matthew 10 and verse 7, they were to proclaim as they went, they were to proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So not only is John preaching the kingdom and baptizing, but so is Jesus' disciples have the same message. Did Jesus' disciples baptize? Yes. Yes, they did. If you look at John 4 and verse 1, you see that when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. Although it says here Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples did the baptizing. But nonetheless, after he heard, he heard that the Pharisees heard that he, his disciples were baptizing even more than John's disciples. He said, well, I'm going to leave Judea and go back to Galilee for a while, and he ends up in Samaria. Jesus was always moving about so that he would not go to the cross until it was time to go to the cross. But this shows us, as you can see, that there's a lot of preaching about the kingdom of God. Baptism was connected to the kingdom of God. And so is it possible, or is it even likely, is it prob probable that this thief that we're reading about here in Luke 23 was baptized for the forgiveness of sins by John or one of his disciples, and that this man who's a thief on the cross next to Jesus is, is really a child of God, but an erring child of God, but a child of God, a child of God who has, who has fallen either back into an old life of theft and robbery or somehow got involved, but then here he is. Is, is what we have here, Jesus, is he talking to someone that already has known him and now is wanting to come back to him. And how blessed was this thief to be in this place at this time in history if all this is the case. You're talking about providence. If this man had to die because of his theft, then what a place to die right next to the Son of God. And what an opportunity to be able to petition Him, the Lord, for forgiveness there at that last moment. So, so I would say that when, you, when we talk to people about the plan of salvation and you're going to talk about the thief, it's a good thing to talk about. It's, don't shy away from it. It's, it's an excellent subject. It's, an, it's, a, it's a very interesting uh, case. It's an interesting uh, thought process to study the background of this man. Just one thing. 
That's very true. We're not standing in the very presence of Jesus. He was very blessed to be in, in that spot in the moment in which he was. Okay, so Mike has taken us into our second part of our lesson, which is to think about uh, Bible chronology. Okay, but uh, before we go there, any other comments you want to think about in regard to the to the thief and his being there? I think that's a that's a good point, Brent's saying that it seems that because the Lord did have the authority, He's the Lord, to just forgive someone right there on the spot. Nonetheless, He's having His disciples to baptize people for forgiveness, and this is all in preparation. This is all in preparation for the kingdom coming. Okay, as we read about in Acts uh, two, it's in it's in preparation of His disciples to carry on. Uh, the work as we see them doing in the book of Acts and um, so it's, it's just real interesting and to say that baptism has nothing to do with salvation you've got to go a long way away from the Bible to start saying that because it's just everywhere and we didn't create this we didn't come up with this this watery concept here John the Baptist come baptizing Jesus and his disciples came baptizing baptism is connected to the kingdom without a doubt. Okay, just a simple reading brings that out. Okay, good, good point there in John 4, uh, 1 and 2. That question that we definitely know that he was actually asking for forgiveness and repentance right then or had he already changed his words? Okay. Let's think about that. Ken's saying was he asking for forgiveness then or had he already changed his ways and he's just petitioning to for heaven at that particular he was, if that be the case he was teaching and preaching while he was on the cross yeah he's definitely teaching and he preaching he rebuked that other prisoner how can you how can you speak as you're speaking you not fear God so there's definitely been a change. Now one thing that we need to point out, if you look at Matthew 27 and verse 44, yeah, I believe it says that at first both thieves on the right side and left side of Jesus were actually railing on him, reviling him. Check that and see if, that, if that's true. So... Is it true then that this penitent thief 
that we are upholding here, was he at first, was he at first, was he, was he kind of against Christ? And then did he, did he come to himself and say, what am I doing, what am I saying? Um, anyway. Right. We we don't. That's the that's the mystery of it, and that's why it's so interesting to be able to talk to him later on here after we leave the flesh, is to ask him a lot of these questions. You know, to see what what is it. You know, it's just going to be great to sit down. But you, we don't know his age. He he may have been very familiar with the Old Testament. So, and we we don't know why. We don't know what kind of theft this may have been. What do you think about a, a, a government in existence that would crucify its thieves? How would you like to live under that government? Bring them back? Okay. Wouldn't have as many, many thieves. Okay. The Assyrians, I think, were one of the first ones to use crucifixion. But for thievery, you know, a lot of people now just think that's not that big a deal to, to take something that's not yours. But uh, even among the Romans, that was huge. That was huge to take something. And um, I think it points out that God had this time in history chosen while Rome was in charge, and they had enough order about them that the gospel could have free course throughout the land, at least for a while. All right, let's think about um, chronology, Bible chronology. Why is that important right here? Why is that important? Okay, the new law had not been in, put in place yet. Okay, it is not in effect, it is not a force yet. Okay. And one of the main principles that we want to share with, with folks and review for ourselves is that with different periods of sacred history comes different requirements from God. Just like Abraham was never commanded to be baptized, Abraham was never told to take the Lord's Supper. We are not to partake of a Passover meal as they had under the Moses system um, we're not to bring animal sacrifices and we're not told to go and build an ark like Noah so different periods of history different requirements just sharing that with your neighbor or your co-worker will open their eyes most have not even heard that little simple obvious idea okay Yeah, Abraham was never under the Ten Commandments. Just different Bible periods have different requirements, but uh, the, rea re the reality is we're now in the last Bible period. Okay? At the end of these days, Hebrews 1, verse 1 and 2, God has spoken unto us in His Son. Okay? In His Son. We, we are blessed. You think the you think the thief was blessed to be right there next to Jesus. We are blessed to be living in the time that we're living. This is, these are the last days. 
this is the last period of, of Earth's history. We don't know how long this last period will last, but here we are. Here we are. And we're under the new covenant uh, system. Right. The last will and testament. That's why I started the way I did with the foundation, elements of the foundation. Okay. One big element of the foundation that we stand on is that God has, has spoken. He has spoken his last words to man. This is the last will and testament of our Savior, New Testament. But it's not, in a, it's not a force yet. It's not a force yet. Um, so let's read Hebrews 9 together and just notice the importance of this. Hebrews chapter 9. This is one of those passages that you want to have written in the margin of your Bible next to Luke 23, uh, 42 and 43, because just as sure as we're standing here, you're going, you'll, you'll be talking to someone about the thief on the cross. So Hebrews 9, talking about the Lord Jesus, Hebrews 9, verse 15, Therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgression committed under the first covenant. For, when, for where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at the death since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is still alive. So after Jesus died, okay, resurrected, gone back to heaven, then of course that times out with the day of Pentecost and the new covenant comes into force. force. Okay. So um, different time periods and, and you see uh, what Brent was referring to a minute ago is very true. Jesus could, he had all authority while he was walking on this earth. You remember when they, when they dropped a man through the roof? He was paralyzed. But Jesus, the first words he said to him was, your sins are forgiven you. He just had that kind of authority. But now, Jesus has placed his authority in his last will and testament. You see. Before his death, Jesus could walk around while he was on earth and dispense his blessings wherever he might want to and however he might do it. He was here to prepare the world for the kingdom. He was here to show the world that he's the son of God. But now his authority is in the last will and testament in the new covenant. Suppose um, someone's dad, while he's living, he had some money and so he gave his money as he desired. Maybe some to his kids, some to uh, some co-workers, some to strangers. Okay. But then after dad dies, okay, who gets access to the money? And how is that to be made known? Okay. Well, you better have a will. Okay. And so according to the terms of his will is where his money and his possessions uh, go. And so with Jesus and his death, you look into the terms of his will, and baptism is definitely a part of the will of the, 
the new covenant, the, the new covenant will. The new, well, the word covenant and will is the same thing. New will, new covenant, okay. New Testament. And so that's, that's uh, chronology is, is, is very, very important. Okay. Suppose someone said, I'm not going to pay federal income tax because George Washington didn't have to pay federal income tax. What are you going to say about that? Is it true that George Washington didn't have to pay federal income tax? Yes. It's very true. Very true. But of course, he lived in a different period, different time period, before there were federal income tax laws. Okay. Whether we like it or not, whether it should be or not, it probably shouldn't be, but whether it should be or not, that's just the time period in which we live. <clears throat> Any other thoughts about chronology and, and time frame as it relates to the thief? And so, um, don't we see that um, under the New Covenant, there are plenty of examples to go to to find out how you must uh, be saved. We have the entire book of Acts, and that's, that's why the book of Acts is there. But if we go into the life of Jesus, then it doesn't necessarily erase the necessity of baptism. Because as we said as we began, when, you look, when you're looking around in the New Testament, you see the gospel plan everywhere. You see it in the Great Commission. You see it in the ministry of John. You see it in the ministry of Jesus. You see it in the new birth. And then you see it also, of course, in the book of Acts. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of that thief saying, remember me, remember me. I know where you're going today, Lord. You're going into your kingdom. That is the heavenly kingdom. Remember me when you're there. <laughs> 